Chapter 4, Part 17 of the Works of Robert G. Ingersoll, Volume 10, Ingersoll's Closing Address in the Second Star Root Trial, Part 17 of 24. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Now, we come to Mr. Boone, page 1560. He says that the action he had taken was upon his own responsibility, and that at no time had any papers been gotten up with any view of defloiding the government. That was good. I am like the Democrat who said, after hearing the returns from Berks County, that sounds good. Then, here is a question asked him. Question. I understood you to say that the contract was made between you and somebody, fixing your interest in all this business? Answer. Yes, sir. Question. Do you recollect about the date of that? Answer. I think it is on the day John W. Dorsey got here in Washington. On page 1561, he swears that at the time Boone made that contract with John W. Dorsey, he and Dorsey had not conspired to defraud the government in any way, nor did they ever do so after that contract was made. When was that contract made? It was made on the 15th date of January, 1878. Who made it? John W. Dorsey of the one part, and Albert E. Boone of the other. And they tell exactly what that contract was for. Here is the contract, on page 1561. And this shows that the statement of Stephen W. Dorsey, that the matter was deferred until John W. Dorsey should come, is absolutely correct. That the party to this agreement shall share in all the profits, gains, and losses as follows. John W. Dorsey shall have two-thirds and Albert E. Boone share one-third. Now, gentlemen, there was the original partnership agreement. Let us see if that was ever dissolved. The next contract was made on the 12th of September, 1878. Now, therefore, in consideration of one dollar in hand paid, the receipt thereof is hereby acknowledged. I hereby sell, assign, and transfer to Albert E. Boone all my said two-thirds interest in the roots in the name of said Boone in the states of Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, Kansas, and Nebraska, and in the name of said Dorsey in the states of Texas, Louisiana, and Arkansas. The reason he did that was because Mr. Minor had made the contract with Boone to that effect, and probably I had better read that now so that you will have it exactly and know what we are doing. I read from page 1569. Washington, D.C., August 7th, 1878. Whereas A.E. Boone has this day, for the purpose of saving a failure in the woods, in the name of John R. Minor, John M. Peck, and John W. Dorsey, for the purpose of saving a failure, recollect. Although Stephen W. Dorsey, according to the prosecution, was a conspirator, and although John W. Dorsey was another, and Peck was another, yet, on the 7th day of August, 1878, for the purpose of saving a failure, they make this. Assigned to John R. Minor his one-third interest in the roots in their names. Now, therefore, I, John R. Minor, agree that John W. Dorsey shall assign his interest in roots in the name of A. E. Boone in Kansas and Nebraska, Texas and Louisiana and Arkansas. In the name of John W. Dorsey in Texas, Louisiana, and Kansas, the later cost not guaranteed. John R. Minor. Now, he said to Mr. Boone, 
I have got to have another man come in. We haven't got the money to run these routes. I've got to get somebody with us. If we will go out, I will agree that John W. Dorsey will assign to you his two-thirds interest in all the routes in Kansas, Nebraska, Texas, Louisiana, and Arkansas. I will agree that John W. Dorsey, although he has a two-thirds interest in all these routes, shall assign them to you, A.E. Boone, and they shall thereupon become your property. That agreement was made on the 7th of August, 1878. And then, as I read you before, on the 12th day of September, Miner made that promise good, and John W. Dorsey did assign to Boone his two-thirds interest in all the routes that Miner said he would. Then Boone was out of it. He had no more to do with Miner, Peck, and company, and no more to do with John W. Dorsey. He went his road, and they went theirs. He went out in consideration that John W. Dorsey would give him Boone, two-thirds of all the routes that he before that time had one-third in. Then Miner took in Mr. Bell, because he had the money to go out with the business. Page 1562. Still talking about Mr. Boone, there is another very suspicious circumstance that was brought up by the prosecution. These bids were put in in different names, and that was looked as at a very suspicious circumstance. What does Boone say about that? He says that the object in bidding in separate names was not to defraud the government, but was to have the service divided up and not to bid against each other. That was reasonable. The arrangement was simply to keep from injuring themselves. It was not made to defraud the government, but it was made so that they might not by accident injure each other. It was a common thing for members of a firm to bid in that way. And it is a common thing for persons to organize themselves for the purpose of bidding and running contracts. And when they thus bid, they always bid in their individual names. The fact that we bid in our individual names was taken as a circumstance going to show that we had conspired to defraud the government. And a witness they bring forward to prove that fact swears that it has been the custom for all firms to bid in their individual names. Away goes that suspicion. The code tell of that point horizontalizes in the dim distance. Page 1563. The point was made, gentlemen, that we bid on long routes with slow time. No way. Understand, no way, that the service would be increased and that the time would be shortened. The only word I object to there is the word no way. That we bid on long routes with slow time, thinking that the service would be increased and the time shortened was undoubtedly true. That we bid expecting that the service might be increased and the time shortened is undoubtedly true. That when we bid, we took into consideration the probability of the service being increased and the time shortened is undoubtedly true. The only difference is a difference between thinking and knowing. Between taking into account probabilities and making the bid because we had made a bargain with the second assistant postmaster general. That is the difference. Let us see what Boone says about it. I read from page 1563. On all surface of three times a week, and under there is a chance for improvement in getting it up to six or seven times a week. Everybody who has ordinary common sense knows that. If I bid on surface for once a week, there is a great deal better chance for getting an increase of trips than if there were seven when I started. Everybody knows that. There is about six times as good a chance. 
All contractors consider that that chance in their bids and bid lower on one, two, and three times a week service than on a daily service. Why? Because the chances of the routes will be increased. Boone swears on the same page that he always did that himself, that he always had done it, yet that is locked in here as evidence of a conspiracy. There is a great deal better chance for expedition when a route is led at two or three miles an hour than when it is led at six or seven. Of course, there is. So it is less the better chance of getting it expedited. The faster it is led, the less chance of getting it expedited. There is no need of bringing a man here to show that. You know that. If you thought there was more money in expedition and increase than on the original schedule, you would, as I insist, bid on such routes as the advertisement showed the time was to be slow and the surface infrequent upon. Now, gentlemen, to take advantage of such perfectly apparent things as that will not do. You have heard a good deal about star routes, gentlemen. Every one of you by this time ought to make a pretty good guess. Postmaster General interjects. Every one of you, if you do not know all about this subject, you never will. The former, Mr. Crane, comments. We ought to be good lawyers too. Mr. Ingleso continues. You also ought to be good lawyers, at least on this subject. I do not know that you have all the testimony in your minds, as there have been so many misstatements made. But if you ever are to know anything on this subject, you know something now. And if you, Mr. Foreman, or you, Mr. Ranshaw, were to tomorrow to go to work to bid on some star routes, you would bid on the longest routes, on the slowest time, and with the most infrequent trips. You would do that. Then would you say, that is evidence that we have conspired. Has a man got to be so stupid that he would not take advantage of a perfectly plain thing in order to escape the charge of conspiracy? If you were to put your money in land in the western country, you would not go where the country was settled up and give $100 an acre for land. You would go where you could get land for 2 or 3 or 4 or $5 an acre and say, there is a chance for land to rise. That is not conspiracy. So, if you were going to bid on mail service, you would bid where the time is slow, or the route long, and the service once a week. Then you would say that the country might grow, that railroads might be built, and that they might get service up to seven trips a week. And that instead of going on two miles an hour, maybe they would want to make it seven miles an hour. That is the service to make money on. Is it a crime to make money? Is it a crime to make a good bargain with the government? I suppose these gentlemen of the prosecution made the best bargain they could with the government themselves. Is it a crime? I say no. Is a man to be regarded as a conspirator because some outsider thinks he got too good a bargain? That will not do. Boone says he always did that. Of course he did. He says another thing. These gentlemen say that we did not go above three trips, and that is another evidence of fraud. They say we did not bid on any route with more than three trips a week. Mr. Boone tells you on page 1565 that the department never advertised for four trips a week. That is the reason I think they did not bid on any of these. He also swears that they never advertised for five trips. That is a good reason for our not taking any routes with five trips, is it not? There were not any advertised. The government did not offer to let us have any. There is good reason for not taking any of them. The government had not any of that kind. After you get beyond three trips, Boone swears that the next number is six or seven. 
never four, never five. Don't you see? And yet it is a very suspicious circumstance that we did not bid on any four trips routes or any five trip routes, that we stopped at three. Why did we stop at three? Because if we had not stopped at three, we would have had to go to six. Why did we not go to six? Because at six trips a week, we would have been obliged to put up too much money and to put up too many certified checks. It required too many men to go on the bonds. That is the reason. Gentlemen, if there had been a conspiracy, it would have been just about as well for us to bid on six or seven trips to catch the expedition of time. If there had been a conspiracy to make money and it had been understood by the second assistant postmaster general, he could have just as well given us routes with seven trips a week and put the service up to seven, eight, nine, or ten miles an hour. And he could have done that in the thickly populated parts of the country if it had been the result of a conspiracy. Let me read more from what Mr. Boone says on page 1565. The proposals that I destroyed were upon routes of at least six times per week. How did he come to destroy them? Another suspicious circumstance against Dorsey. Boone said when he went into the business, he just took the bidding book and commenced at A and was going right straight through to X, Y, and Z and make the bid. I believe on every route that was in the book. I think that is his testimony. Boone says, I was going on without instructions. I was going on without authority from anybody working on the bids. He thinks it was the same day that Miner got here, or the day afterwards that he, I suppose meaning Dorsey, came up to the room and saw what the witness was doing. He was making up bids for every route in the advertisement, going right along with big and little, when Dorsey said there was a mistake. No proposals were to be made for over three times a week over routes under 50 miles. When Miner came into the room, witness asked, what was the reason of that? I say upon this point that Stephen W. Dorsey never said a word about it, and that Boone is mistaken. But he says he asked Miner the reason. What did Miner say? Did he say to him, it is because we have got a conspiracy? We have got it fixed with the second assistant postmaster general? No. He said this. He said for fear of failure in getting bonds, that they could not get the bonds for all the service and could not get certified checks for all the service. Boone was going clear through the book from preface to finish. They could not get bonds for all the service and could not get certified checks for all the service. You remember that for all the service over $5,000, they had to put up 5%. I think in certified checks. Now, there was an immense volume of three or 4,000 routes and it was going to put in a bid on every one of them. That is what Boone was going to do. He did not understand the conspiracy at that time. Mine explained to him, we cannot get the certified checks. We cannot get the bondsman. He did not tell him, good Lord, my friend, you don't understand the terms of the conspiracy. We are taking no such service as that. We are taking none over three times a week because, don't you see, we want a chance for increase. We want the lowest. If we can find any service where the horses agree to stand still, that is the service to take. You must look over the terms of the conspiracy and have some sense about it. Who says he was starting in, taking the advertisements, going right through their territory all over that country, and bidding on every route, not missing one. Never saw Stephen W. Dorsey do any work on the bids. 
the proposals sent down to the postmasters in Arkansas, including those to Clan Denon. He, Boone, fixed himself and sealed them. Gentlemen, there is no evidence that Mr. Dorsey, as I understand it, ever saw one of those papers. But simply the form that was written out by Boone that was sent to Clan Denon with instructions what to do with the proposals. That I understand to be the evidence. They proved by Boone that Dorsey never saw them, never wrote them, never ordered them to be written, never ordered a blank to be left unfilled. And yet, gentlemen, it was the man whom they say had brooded over this conspiracy, the man that gave to it life and form. He is the man that used Boone and John W. Dorsey and Peck and Minor as instrumentalities and tools. What more? Did Boone take those bonds up to Dorsey and show them to him? He says that he did not open them, that he did not show them to Dorsey. That is what Mr. Boone swears. Surely Mr. Boone is an honorable man, stamped with the seal of the Department of Justice. He did not even show them to Dorsey. Dorsey never saw anything except the form after Boone had made it out. I showed you that form on yesterday. I think marked 16X. That is the only thing that Dorsey saw. He did not know what blanks were left in the bonds, or whether any were left. He never gave any orders about them, and never saw them. Yet, the prosecution wants you to hold him responsible as a conspirator for those bonds. What more, gentlemen? Those bonds were never used. Nobody was ever defrauded. Not a proposal was put in the post office department. They never came to life. Dead. No contract, says Mr. Boone, was ever awarded on those proposals. Even the proposals sent back, unless it was a contract to him, Boone, that is what he swears, and yet Dorsey is to be held responsible. Let us hurry along, gentlemen, see how Dorsey came to do this. How did that arch conspirator, as they claim him to be, happen to write that letter to Clan Dennett? On page 1567, Boone says that he suggested to Dorsey that he had better send a note with the proposal to Clan Dennett. Boone suggested it. He was not a conspirator, but he suggested it. Dorsey was the conspirator, but never dreamed of it. How fortunate for a conspirator to have an innocent man think of the means of carrying out a conspiracy, never thinking of crime, but having it all suggested by perfect innocence and then crime taking advantage of it. That is the position. He suggested that Dorsey would better send a note with the proposals to Clan Dennett. I will read from page 1568. Question. Was there no danger that he would be declared a failing contractor? Was it at the time the practice of the department if a man, for instance, had 50 contracts and failed on one to declare him a failing contractor or not? Answer. No, sir. But they would declare him a failing contractor on that one route and suspend his pay until he paid up the loss to the government. Just my case now, exactly. Question. That was one of the reasons that you had. Now, you were informed at the time that they had not the money to carry this on. When, as a matter of fact, did you go out of the concern? Answer. The 8th day of August, 1878. Question. Was S.W. Dorsey then in Washington? Answer. No, sir. He was not. He had been gone 10 or 12 days. Now then, we come to August 7, 1878, the time that Mr. Boone went out. He did it for the purpose of saving a failure on the roots in the names of Minor, Peck, Dorsey, and himself. 
That is what he went out for, and that is his only reason. On page 1570, Mr. Boone swears that, so far as he knows, neither John W. Dorsey, John R. O. Minor, John M. Peck, nor Stevens W. Dorsey had any arrangement with the second assistant postmaster general to increase the service. None whatever. Boone went out of the 7th day of August, 1878. S.W. Dorsey was in New Mexico. He did not return here until about the time Congress assembled in December. Boone swears that he then learned from S.W. Dorsey that he, Dorsey, did not know that Boone was out of the concern, did not know that he had left on the 7th day of August, 1878. Now, gentlemen, if Stephen W. Dorsey was the main conspirator, if he was doing this entire business, is it possible that A. E. Boone went out on the 7th day of August? That John W. Dorsey assigned his interest in all the routes mentioned in the agreement, and John R. Minor took in Val, and the service was put on those routes by the money furnished by Val? That all that was done, and yet Stephen W. Dorsey never heard of it, and did not even know that Boone was out, did not even know that Val was in? Besides that, gentlemen, as I told you, Dorsey was not here. He was in New Mexico. He was in utter ignorance of this entire business. And yet they claim that he was the directing spirit. Mr. Boone further testifies on page 1571 that Brady showed him a telegram from the postmistress at the Downs, saying that the service was down. When I read that, I thought maybe that was where Moore got his hint to swear that he telegraphed to find out what was done with that service. Boone further swears that Brady said that it must be put on, that he said it could not be put on at the contract price, and that Brady told him, I advise you to telegraph and put it on at any price, and that unless all the service was on by the 15th day of August, he would declare the contractor a failing contractor. On every route, the service was down upon. That is what Brady told him. Stephen W. Dorsey was not here. According to the testimony of Moore, he knew when he went away that the service in Oregon was not put on, but he abandoned it and paid no attention to it. He happened to meet a miner at St. Louis and told him, I believe, there are my notes for $8,500. That is all I will do. I am through. I have already advanced thirteen dollars or $14,000. I will not advance another dollar. Why did not Miner tell him? If you are not going on with this conspiracy, I am going home. Why didn't Miner tell him then? What did you get up a conspiracy like this for? Just to abandon it? Why did not Miner say to him, This is your child. I became a criminal at your suggestion. I entered into this conspiracy because you urged me to. And now, after we have got the roots, you are going to abandon it? Why did he not say to him, Dorsey, if you are not going on with this conspiracy, I am going back to Sandusky. Did Dorsey at St. Louis treat it as his bantling? Or did he say to Minor, This is all I will do. Did he mean for himself? No, all I will do for you. Certainly he would not have made the threats to Minor that he would not do anything more for himself. He then said to Minor, I am through. Minor knew at the time that Stephen W. Dorsey had not the interest of one solitary dollar, except the money he had advanced. Stephen W. Dorsey, according to the testimony of this prosecution, knew when he left the city 
that the roots were not in operation in eastern Oregon. He went away knowing that J.W. Dorsey and John R. Minor and John M. Peck were in danger of being declared failing contractors. Yet he never even called on Brady to see about it. He never asked to have the time extended a minute. He never took the least interest in the business. He started for New Mexico and went by way of Oberlin, Ohio. He happened to meet Minor in St. Louis, and for Minor's sake, for Peck's sake, for John W. Dorsey's sake, and not for his own sake, he gave them some notes to the extent of $1,500 that they could have discounted, and said to Minor then and there, that is the last dollar, that is the last cent. What more did he do? He abandoned the whole business. He went to New Mexico. He never wrote about it. He never spoke about it. He never received a dispatch concerning it until the following December, when he came back to Washington. And then for the first time, found that Boone had gone out and that Val had come in. What more? Although he was interested to the extent of thirteen or $14,000, he did not know until he came back in December that his security had been rendered worthless. He found it out then for the first time. That is a fine model of a conspirator. Reading again from Boone's testimony on page 1371, fully a month and a half of the time had been taken up by the congressional investigation, and we, that is to say, Minor, Peck, Boone and the rest, did not know what to do with the surface. We dared not to move. We expected that the contracts would be taken from us. Do you tell me that under such circumstances, if Stephen W. Dorsey had conceived this thing, he would have gone off and left it? Do you tell me, with the entire business trembling in the balance, without the money to put the service on, at the mercy of Thomas J. Brady, that if Stephen W. Dorsey had gotten up that conspiracy and also put in thirteen or fourteen thousand dollars, he would have gone away and left it, and told Minor and the others, I will have no more to do with it and leave it so effectually and so perfectly that he did not even know that Boone had gone out and Val had come in until the following December, when he came here to take his seat in the Senate. On page 1580, again quoting from Mr. Boone, The fact, there is something that rises like the rock of Gibraltar. It is one of those indications of truth that rascality never had ingenuity enough to invent. The fact that Dorsey refused to advance any more money on account of this business was taken into consideration by me when I made up my mind to go out. Do you want any better testimony than that? That Dorsey did refuse to advance any more money? Don't you see how everything fits together when you get at the facts? How naturally they all blend and harmonize when you get at the facts. This ends chapter 4. Part 17 of 24.